morning, everybody. It's so, I'm so glad that you guys are here today. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here. And if I haven't met you, fill out that new form at ariseinver.com slash connect so I can get to know you, talk with you, and hear your story. I'd love to. Um, well, today uh, we are talking again uh, about Connect Four. Do you remember this? Connect Four, we introduced this last week. This is what we're saying, our season, kind of what we're challenging everybody to do because everybody is disconnected, isolated for a very long time, and it's time to connect or reconnect. So we're talking about Connect Four because we're challenging everybody to make four connections here with people in church. Maybe you never met anybody. You're like, hey, I want to meet you. You could be brand new here. We want you to connect with four people. If you haven't seen someone in 17 months, we, that would be a great time to connect. So we're challenging you over the next three months to connect with four different people. So who in here has already made one of these connections? Over the last week, you're like, yeah, I, I saw somebody. I went and got coffee with somebody. We have a few hands up. Um, let, let's do uh, Tony. You won. He's a winner. Okay, yeah. Tony, come on up because Tony, here, come on, come on up we, on the stage. Um, Tony, uh, since you have already made one of these connections, we have some uh, of these Connect Four cases. And in these envelopes are gift cards ranging between $10 and $50 so that you can take this and connect with another person. We're going to do this every week now. Uh, so that you can connect with another person on our dime. So... Which one do you want? This one? Okay, let's see what's in there. What's in that envelope, Tony? There's nothing in that one? There's nothing in that one. Sawyer. I'm kidding. (laughs) I thought I had taken the one from last service away. Okay. (laughs) The secret is they all don't have anything. (laughs) He thinks I'm like the ones that are like worth more. Maybe I do. What is in there? Drum roll. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. All right. Gift card to Chick-fil-A. And now you get to connect with another person. Thank you, Tony. Can we give Tony a round of applause? And Sawyer. And we're going to be doing this every week for the next few months so we can encourage more connections to happen because we all need to do it because we're also socially isolated. We need relationships. We need people around us. So connect with four. Connect with four. And if you fill this out, remember, and you fill this out, we have some cards in the back, and you turn it in, or you send us <laughs> the four people you connected with, we're going to enter everybody in to win one really big prize if you fill this out and turn it in. Okay, one other thing before we jump into our message is we wanted to introduce to you guys um, our new discipleship pathway. So we've been doing this stuff for a while, but we've kind of clarified it, made it a little bit clearer, because we all need a path when it comes to following Jesus, It is hard to follow Jesus, but that's our mission, to help people follow Jesus. So we want to make it easier to take simple steps to follow Jesus for all of you. Because I know, and you know, it is hard to go someplace that you've never been before. Isn't it awkward? Let me tell you this story. So this last semester of the school year, I was asked to teach a class and be a professor over at Denver Seminary. It was like a really cool honor. I was like really excited to do it. I was kind of nervous for my first day of class. I got there really early, had everything prepared, went into the classroom. I had to have somebody let me into this classroom because I got there so early. I got in there, set up, was going over my notes, going over my notes that I didn't even realize that the 9 o'clock hour when it was supposed to start had already come and gone. And it was like 9.05, and there's nobody in the classroom. I'm like, what the heck? What's going on? Okay, maybe they're students. They're, you know, students are always a little late, right? And then a few minutes later, someone comes in, this young lady comes in and said, are you, are you Matt? Are you, are you our professor? And I'm like, uh, yeah. She said, well, we're all in the classroom we're supposed to be in. What are you doing in here? 
So then, and on top of that, it ended up being a great class period. But then after that, I got back here, and, and Sawyer and Chase were like, uh, I told them what I did, and they're like, Matt, there's an episode of How I Met Your Mother about that. I was like, what? We watched the clip. Ted Mosby, the main character, is a brand new professor, and he goes and teaches the wrong class. And I'm like, I am living a sitcom right now, right? I'm that guy, but I know how to spell professor. If you've seen that episode, you know what I'm talking about. But it's awkward, right? How do you think I felt in that moment? Totally embarrassed, right? It was awkward, it was weird, and I was like, oh my gosh, can I even show my face to these students who have never met me? Um, but, but you have to do it. And, and it is awkward to go to the wrong place, isn't it? We want a pathway and we want to know where we're supposed to go. So that's what this discipleship pathway is about, making it very easy and simple for you guys to know whether you're brand new to faith or brand new to our church, to know what is the next step that I'm supposed to take in my faith journey. So this is how it goes. Start, grow, go. Pretty simple, right? Start, grow, go. Can you say that with me? Start, grow, go. So I'm going to give a little more details, and we'll talk about this more as we come up. So this is just a brief tutorial, um, just a brief overview of it. So start, what we want you to do is start on your journey, wherever you are, or restart your journey, because some people have been away from faith for a while. So what we're going to do is encourage you to worship weekly. In fact, our message today is going to be about this idea of worshiping weekly. We want you to say, hey, I want this part of my rhythm now, that once a week I'm going to be a part of a Rise Church Denver. I'm going to worship weekly. The second thing is to attend a start class. We are just launching this. August 29th is going to be our first one of these start classes. We're going to do it in person, and we're figuring out how to do it online as well so that everyone can come. It's going to be after each service time. So if you come to the 9 a.m. service, you come to the start class afterwards. If you come to 1045, you come to the start class after. It's going to be a short class, 20 to 30 minutes. It's basically orientation, right? We're going to give you an overview of our church and how you can take your next step. So the start class is going to be for everyone. So if you've been around for a little while or, you know, we, we haven't run this in a while, so come to our start class on August 29th after each service. And we're going to be running this either every month or every other month from here on out, this brief orientation. So attend a start class. If we can go backwards um, to that last one. So attend a start class. And the next thing is to get baptized. Because this is your step of faith, going public with your faith. So if you haven't done that, we encourage you to do that. We actually, in the first service, if you notice, my arm is very wet. Because we had two people go public with their faith in baptism in the first service, which is really exciting. Um, and you guys are like, oh, we missed it? I know. We're going to have a little video of it, because this service, we're going to do something different. We're actually going to have a dedication for my uh, Melissa and I's twin, twins. So we're going to do that. So it's different service for everybody. You guys get something special. They got something special. We're going to put it up online so you can see what they went through, and they can see what happened in this service. Okay? Got that? But it was really cool to have those two baptisms, Megan Geek and Anisha Armstrong. That was really cool because that's how you start your faith journey and saying, I'm going public with my faith. So once you've done that, you're ready to move on to grow. That's kind of the next big step for you is to grow. We want you to grow in your faith and in your following of Jesus. And there's two ways that we encourage people to do that here at our church is to choose a group and serve on a team. To choose a group and serve on our team. Sawyer promoted our community groups. That's our main group form here that we have people throughout the week. I think we have... 15-plus groups that meet in homes and apartments online that you can go weekly to these groups. We, you hear the message on Sunday, and then you discuss them about how it applies to your life every week. So the community groups are one of those things. We want everyone to be in a group. We also have men's, uh, men's group. We also have women's Bible study. We're also going to have mops that is going to be uh, relaunching here in a, in a bit. Um, but we want you to be in a group. Everyone should be in a group if you want to grow in your faith. And the next thing is to serve on a team. Okay, when you're on a team and serving, whether it's here in our church or out in the community, you're growing too. You're strengthened as you serve. And there's just this powerful thing is when you have to serve other people, it makes you grow up. 
It makes you grow up. So that's why we want everybody, if you want to grow in your faith, choose a group and serve on a team. The next step is to go. And by going, yes, it can mean go all the way around the world like Kenton and Aaron. And they made it safely to North Africa, in case anybody's wondering. They made it there. We should continue to pray for them. They, they got in like yesterday, or I guess Friday night. We're, we're so excited that they have been, they went to Africa to make disciples. That's amazing that there are missionaries there. But for some of us, it just means to go into our workplaces, into our families, into our communities to help other people follow Jesus. But we want everybody to say, what is the mission God has called me on, wherever it is? And we want to encourage you and challenge you to go. So that's your third big step. So it's to give generously, to engage in outreach, and also to strengthen your core. So this is something we've had been going around for four years, but we've kind of kept it on the DL. That's down low for some of you that don't know. We've kept it on the DL because we haven't had enough of these groups for everybody to be a part of, and I think now we do. So there's a thing that we do called core groups here, and they're groups of three to five men and three to five women that commit to um, growing in discipleship as followers of Jesus for six months. It's a big commitment. But when you do that, you memorize scripture together, you read the Bible together, you read a couple books together, you're challenging each other as you're meeting every single week. My group's always met at 6 a.m. So you gotta be there, you gotta be sharp on time, whether it's online or in person. And that six-month commitment really is a spiritual accelerator. And what we see with that is not only are you growing through that, but what really happens to you, it strengthens you so that you can go out and help other people follow Jesus. It takes you from just disciple to disciple maker through those six-month process. So we now, I think, have enough groups so that if you're interested, you can sign up. That's why we didn't tell everybody before, because we didn't have enough groups for everybody. And that would be mean to say, join one of these groups. Sorry, bad. You can't be in it. Um, so now we have those groups. So you can, even right now on our pathway, um, on our website, you can sign up and say, hey, I'd like, I'm interested in one of those. Those will launch in October, those groups. But that's how you strengthen your core, okay? And, and that really helps you take that next step of how do I go and live on mission, that, the, the mission that God has called me to. So this is our discipleship pathway. Any questions? No, we don't want to take questions right now. This is just a brief introduction. Start, grow, go. Start, grow, go. We want everyone to say, this is what I need to do next, is to start, grow, and go. As you follow Jesus, we want to help you on that journey so that you get to the end, and then you help other people start, grow, go. Okay? Makes sense why it's kind of circular on this one? So that's our discipleship pathway. You'll hear more about it, especially if you come to our start class on August 29th. Put it on your calendars. So that's our overview of what this discipleship pathway is. And now, you ready for the message? Okay, I think a few of you are. So let's get into our message today as we are in part two of our series, Engage. If you missed part one, you can find it online. There's audio, video, and um, the transcript of the message at arisedenver.com media. And today we're going to be engaged part two as we learn to normalize a better life. Today with perhaps the most important habit that you should build into your life to normalize something better following Jesus. And I think habits are important because goals are not enough. I don't, I don't know, who would who here watch the Olympics over the last couple weeks? Anybody watch the Olympics? Okay, you know, the interesting thing about the Olympics is everybody has the same goal. Everybody wants to win, right? They want to win the gold medal, they want to be the best, and yet only one person wins each event, right? So, Here's the thing, and this is a quote from James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. He says, winners and losers have the same goals. That line really <laughs> stood out to me as I read this book. I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, a goal is important. It's actually a necessary prerequisite. If you want to grow, if you want to achieve something, you have to have a goal. But it's not enough on its own. 
If, if you have the goal, everybody wants to win, right? Everybody wants the gold medal, but only one does. A goal is not enough. You have to have it, but it's not enough on its own. It, James Clear goes on to explain um, that goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. See, everybody has the same goals. And as we as followers of Jesus, our goals are to become like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to have a heart like Jesus, to believe like Jesus, and also to have the hands of Jesus, to go out and do what he did. That's what our goal is And when we say we're helping people follow Jesus. And everybody has that goal, but not everyone gets there. Well, it's not because the goal is wrong. It's because people don't have the systems and the habits in place to get there. Okay, that's why there can be people who have been Christians their whole life, and you meet them, and they're old, mean curmudgeons. You don't have to raise your hand if you're one of those. Okay? Um, but you know who I'm talking about. You've met these people, and you're like, you're a Christian? What's, what's wrong here? What's wrong with this picture? They have the right goal. They want to become like Jesus. And yet, for some reason, they haven't made the progress because they don't have maybe the right systems or habits in place. So our whole series this month is going to be about these different habits that we can have that will completely transform our lives and help us get to the progress because they're small incremental things that will drastically change the outcome of your life. And this first one, I believe, is perhaps the most important as we're going to see in God's Word that it teaches us, but also we're going to see some studies <laughs> that prove, I, I think I always love it when studies prove what God has said for thousands of years, but that's what we're going to see today. And it's a very simple habit to worship weekly to worship weekly. Very simple, right? If you have this habit in your life, it will drastically change the outcome of your life for the better, to worship weekly. So we're going to see two parts in our passage today. We're going to be in Psalm 95, and the first half of this psalm teaches us one half of this aspect of worship weekly, and that is to praise... Um, I'm sorry if we can pull this up here. Let me get the wording right. That's our psalm. If we, we can get that first big idea, um, is to use your voice to praise the Lord. So the first half of it is to use your voice to praise the Lord. And that, we're going to learn the second half of it, too, with Worship Weekly. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know that worship is something we do all the time. But what we're talking about is corporate worship. That word corporate means body. We're the body of Christ, the corporeal of Christ, right? We come together to worship. That's what we're talking about. As we gather as the body of Christ, we worship weekly. As a, as a big group, right? This is a very important thing that God has, has taught us to do in his word. And the first half of it is to use your voice to praise the Lord. So I want to show you this from Psalm 95. Have a Bible, open it up. If you have a smartphone, you can follow along. It's also going to be up here on the screen. You can use the YouVersion Bible app and find our Rise Church Denver event to follow along. In verse 1 we read, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. So this psalm was written, and we're told in the New Testament, it was actually written by David. So here's a king, man. This guy was good. He was a king, he was a warrior, and he wrote songs. That's the trifecta, okay? John Mayer's got nothing, right, on, on David. Okay, this is the trifecta. And he's writing this song, and, and most scholars think that this was used to introduce people into worship. It was the call to worship as everybody assembled, whether it was in the temple or in the synagogues that met all around Israel and the world. So as it begins, it says, come. So come on in, everybody, wherever you are, you have your lives, you, you have your jobs, you have your families, now come together and let us together sing for joy to the Lord. And there's joy because it actually changes our emotions, right? 
And, and let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. This is a call to worship. And you see here that it says we've got to sing, we've got to shout, we've got to have music, we've got to have song. There's something about coming together and singing that is powerful in our worship. Now, I think that's so important that music is a part of it. God created us that way. It's really interesting. There was a study done out of MIT a few years ago, and they were doing brain scans on people, and they found that there is a certain part of the brain, these neural pathways, that only respond to music. Those same pathways don't respond if someone's talking, if there's a dog barking, if there's an ambulance going by with a siren. Those are different parts of the brain. But for music, people have the same parts of their brain that respond every single time to music. And music is played, or you sing a song, and you respond. It's almost like God created us that way, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I, I think he did. God created us to respond to music. And that's why we see again and again that that God's people come together and they sing. It's also fascinating because singing is one of the best things that you can do to transform your heart. Okay? Music makes you sing, it makes you dance, it even says it, it makes you joyful. And you remember things better if you sing them. Did you know that? I know it's a fact. Someone's nodding very much. I know that it's a fact that you guys, I, I work so hard on my messages. Craft my big ideas, make sure all the statements are right. I, I work on it, I rehearse it right. And you will leave here and not remember a word I say. But for some reason, you keep singing the songs, right? You know that. And this is what we do. Those songs get stuck in your head and you remember the words, you remember the lyrics. That's why we have you know, songs that, that sing about God and who he is and they have scripture in the songs. We, we do that because it's teaching you guys. It's a fascinating thing. Even Plato, the great Greek philosopher, not Plato, Plato said, musical training is, more potent, is a more potent instrument than any other because rhythm and harmony find their way into the inward places of the soul. This is why when people have Alzheimer's and their mind is gone, they still can sing songs that they learned when they were a kid. I've seen it. I've sung hymns with people who didn't even know their name, but they remembered all the words of the hymn. And that's an amazing thing. It's a song help us remember things. And I know that you guys remember the songs. You guys sing them. That's why we try to sing songs again and again and again. We love for you to, to worship during the week with those songs. But music is a critical part of our worship when we come together. And I want you guys to, to really think about this because some of, there's, there's like half and half. There's some people that are like, Matt, I love your messages. I want to watch them, but the music, I'm like, eh. And there's others who are like, Matt, the music is so great, but your messages, hmm. Yeah, I, I get it, right? There's like half and half people. That, that's how it is. But both are so important. Both are so important. The music, the reason why we want you to worship weekly, not just tune in. Over the last year, you saw so many churches like, oh my gosh, people are watching online, but they don't, let, let's get rid of the music. Tons of churches got rid of the music and worship and just had the messages or only had one song and a message. And we decided, no, we're going to keep it because this is part of what worship is. It's to come together to sing because God is doing something in your heart. You respond as you sing. You remember as you sing. And we listen to God's word as we'll see in the second half of this psalm. So this is so important. Um, and, and I want you, to, did you notice how it said we sing for joy and we shout aloud and with music and song? So I want to just kind of camp on this for a second because some of you guys, if you have a church background, come from very different musical backgrounds in your churches, right? Some of you come from the very charismatic or Pentecostal churches. You know who you are, okay? When you go into one of these worship services, it's like a dance aerobics class (laughs) 
but everyone's doing a different dance, okay? There's not like one leader in front. Everybody's just dancing all over the place. This is the kind of place, you know, where, you know, people bring their own tambourine. It's a BYOT church service, okay? And you better stretch before you show up or you're going to pull a hammy, okay? You know if you've been to one of those churches, if you come from that background. We love you, okay? There's others of you that come from what is <laughs> uh, lovingly called the frozen chosen, right? You know those churches that you grew up in too. You might stand up or sit down at the right time, but it is silent. You don't move like you may sing a little bit, and you don't move, right? You know those churches too. So, and, and I think this Babylon Bee article, it's, it's satirical, but I think it captures um, <laughs> what, what happens at those music services. Motion-activated lights turn off during Presbyterian worship service. Okay, Anybody from one of those backgrounds? Nod your head, okay? So the question is, which one of them is Right? Charismatic or the frozen chosen? Which one is right? What do you guys think? Both? Both, okay. You know, there's not one clear way. In this psalm, it says, have music, sing, shout aloud. You know, but there's also like, come into the Lord's presence with reverence and silence. You know, both things are in the scriptures. So what we do here as a church, we don't pick like one style, but we do have a core value that describes how we worship here, and it's called passionate worship. That's how we describe it. And what we mean by that is that we worship Jesus authentically to glorify God and captivate the unchurched. The word authentically is so important because authentic means how do you worship? You should worship that way. Does that make sense? Worship the way that's authentic. You're before God and and you're true to him. You're not pretending one way or the other, right? We're gonna be authentic. So this is the question for you. How do you worship? This is how you know how you worship, because you already worship something. When you go see your favorite band in a concert, hey, Mumford & Sons coming to Red Rocks, Woo! I don't know, I don't know if they are or not. You're so excited, you're, you're pumped up, you're going to the concert. When they play your favorite song, what do you do? Do you sing at the top of your lungs, knowing every single word? Do you pump your fist? Do you jump up and down? Do you cheer? Do you scream? The next day, do you have no voice left because you used it all up, singing your favorite song. Well, if that's you, that's how you should worship Jesus, who's way better than Mumford and Sons. Okay, sorry to say that. This British guy's got nothing on Jesus, right? Okay, if you go to the football game, you're going to the Broncos game, you're excited, you're pumped, they're your favorite team. If you're cheering before you've even seen them, they're like warming up and you're cheering, you're pumping your fist, you've got your hands in the air, you're jumping up and down. If that's what you do for your favorite sports team, that's how you should worship Jesus. Because that's your authentic worship. When you're excited and you're not even like thinking about what you're doing, you don't care what you look like. They put you on the big screen and you look like an idiot, right? That's your authentic self <laughs> coming through. That's how you should worship. So that's why we encourage people to worship. If you go to the concert and you're one of these guys, you got the head bob going on, right? If you're one of those, that's how you should worship Jesus too. I mean it, okay? We worship Jesus authentically. So whatever is your authentic response to praise something that you think is good, we should worship Jesus that way. That's authentic worship, okay? Does that make sense here? So that's why we encourage people to, to, to praise God, to worship him authentically. And I think for me, that's pretty loud, pumping my fist, hands in the air, because that's, that's what I do. That's what I do but in do what is authentic to you. So, um, and, and as we continue in the psalm, we're going to see why we do this. Because if some of you are maybe new to this, you're like, well, why do we, we do that at all? Look at this in verse 3. 
David continues, he says, for the Lord is the great God. We sing all those songs, we shout, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This God created the entire universe. He created the Mariana Trench and Mount Everest. Okay, we try to make islands. You've, you've, like, you look at the pictures of Dubai. We like try to make these islands. They're, they're nothing compared to Hawaii, right? God is the great creator. Everything we make is just like this, the shadow of the greatness of God. And what we do when we're around things that are great that someone has created, what do we do? We actually praise it. Wow, that cooking is so good. Oh, that cheeseburger was awesome. That song, Mumford, ooh, I love them, right? You, you, you respond when something is great with our voices. We do that. Wow, I loved it. This, this artwork is incredible. We say those kind of things because we're moved by it. Because when something is good, we praise the creator. When something is good, we praise the creator, and God is the creator of all things. If you've ever looked out and you see something that is amazing, praise God for it. We come here because he created all those things. He's the God above all the other gods. All the other gods are puny, fake gods. They're, they're nothing compared to the one true king above all kings. That's why in, in verse 6, it even continues. It says, come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Here's one of the reasons why we praise this God, because not only did he create everything, all the stars, but he also created each human being. He created you and he loves you. He cares about you. You are his sheep. And like God himself would come down in the form of Jesus Christ and he called himself the great shepherd, didn't he? I am the good shepherd. And he loves us so much that when we're wandering away from him in sin and disobedience, he chases us down, even though they were the one sheep and the 99 are doing what they're supposed to. The one sheep, he chases down, picks us up on his shoulder and brings us back. And Jesus did that by dying on the cross for us. He's the good shepherd. So, so we worship him for how much he cares about us. We are his sheep. We must praise and worship him. One easy way to think about what worship is, is the word worth-ship. Worth-ship, okay? If something has worth to it, if it's something has value, we praise it. And if God has value, and he does, we praise him. If Jesus sought us out and loves us and cares for us individually, we need to praise Jesus' name, don't we? That's worth-ship. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. And we do it here as a church, and what we're encouraging you today is to worship weekly. To worship weekly, why? Because that is the rhythm that God has created in the week. Really, from the very beginning, God created the whole universe. It took him six days, makes us all, and then he takes a rest on the seventh day. He didn't need to rest, guys. Here's a hint. He didn't need to rest on the seventh day. He wasn't like, ooh, man, that's exhausting. Those scorpions were tough to craft. Like, I gotta take some time off. No, in fact, on the seventh day, I think he worked even harder because now he has to chase down these sinners who are going astray and redeem all of mankind in their folly. Okay, so it's almost like on the day, but, but why did he do that? Why does it say that in the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2 that he took a day off? So he, so he could teach us what we needed to do. We do need a day off, guys, and we need a day off to worship him. This is so important in the rhythm of our week and the rhythm of our life. I want you to see this in um, Leviticus 23.3, and here's some of the law that God gave to his people. He said, there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, 
a day of sacred assembly. You come together and something holy happens. That's what the word sacred means. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. So you're not supposed to work. Now you're supposed to worship. Work and worship. That's the rhythm of our life. If you want a healthy, good, better life. We need to take that day to worship God. It's for him. It's to the Lord. And this practice was practiced on Saturdays in the Old Testament. The Sabbath means Saturday. But in the New Testament, after the time of Jesus, because Jesus died and then rose from the dead on the third day, which was a Sunday. And then all of a sudden, Christians started worshiping on Sundays. And we see this in the book of Acts. In Acts 27, it says, On the first day of the week, on Sunday, we, come, we came together to break bread. They started developing this rhythm, and from the very early church in the book of Acts all the way up to today, Christians have chosen Sunday. Now, I don't know if it really matters which day you worship on, as long as there's one day that you're saying, this is the day that I worship. It's my worship weekly. So I know some of you are watching this on Tuesday night. (laughs) That's good. You're worshiping weekly. You're making it part of your rhythm. And what this means for others of you is that you need to commit to coming here on Sundays. For some of you, that means just set your alarm Maybe go to bed a little earlier on Saturday night, okay? 4.30 a.m., maybe not the best time to go to bed on Saturday night, okay? So maybe you need to set that alarm, put it a part of your calendar and say, this is what I'm going to commit to. I'm going to commit to worshiping weekly because it's so important. Others of you, though, you're like, oh, I work, Matt. Well, maybe you need to change jobs. Yeah, or you need to tell your boss, sorry, I can't work on Sundays anymore. Get a new job, maybe. I talked with someone this morning who's like, I'm going to quit my second job. After the first service, I need to quit my second job because I'm working too much and I need to take a day to worship God. I said, praise God. Love it. This guy I just met a couple weeks ago invited him. I'm so glad he came. I'm like, yes. Okay, because sometimes we have to do that to say, I'm going to worship God on Sundays. This is my day to worship. Or some of you are traveling and you're going to still make it a commitment that I'm going to worship every single week. I'm going to have it. And you can join us online anywhere. That's amazing, isn't it? We come together virtually and in person now. God is amazing with technology, isn't he? But we're going to make that commitment because worshiping weekly is part of what God has taught us and commanded us to do. And the great thing is not only are we praising him, we have this song that, that you know, changes our hearts, but also God speaks to us. And that's going to be maybe the most important thing about our worship is that, yes, we use our voice, you use your voice to worship the Lord, to praise the Lord, but we also hear his voice and are transformed. So here's the second part of our message today. So the first one is use your voice to praise the Lord, hear his voice to be transformed. This is what happens as we worship weekly together. I want to show you this um, from the last line of verse 7. If you're looking in Psalm 95 with me. In the last line of verse 7, David says, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, As you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. We're going to explain what that means here. But, but this whole first half of the psalm, it's all praising God. God is awesome. He loves us. He cares about us. The second half, it says, listen to God. Speak to him, praise him. Now listen to him. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Listen, today, hear his voice. The word hear in Hebrew um, doesn't translate well into the English because it means that you listen, right, with your ears, but it also means that you obey. 
That's what the word means in Hebrew. It means to hear and obey, all in one word. We don't have a word like that in English. That's what I'm telling you, okay? Take a note of that. When you hear something, you're supposed to do what it says. Okay, wives, you know that you don't want your husband to just hear what you have to say, right? You want him to do what you told him to do, right? Who cares if the words went in one ear and out the other, right? No, 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 the brain is not enough, and I'm saying this as a husband, okay? We need to go do it. <laughs> we need to respond to it. Maybe it's even just to listen and love, right? But whatever it is, we, we respond with the way we're supposed to. That's how we're supposed to hear God's word. So God is telling us, I'm speaking to you, now go do it. That's why we open up the Bible every single week and preach God's word, because he speaks to us through his word. Did you notice a fascinating thing about this? Um, th- this tells uh, about a time in Exodus chapter 17. If you don't know the story, you're like, what's Meribah, what's Massa? Well, it's actually one event that happened in Exodus 17. God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and God sent Charlton Heston, I mean Moses, to go, you know, that's the prince of Egypt for you younger um, crowd, right? To, to go lead God's people out of slavery, right? And God performed these amazing, miraculous signs to get, mo- uh, to get Pharaoh's attention, let my people go. And finally, after all these signs, these plagues, you know, Pharaoh said, okay, you can go. But then as they were leaving, he gets mad and starts to chase them down, and they get trapped at the Red Sea, And then God, through Moses, parts the Red Sea. This incredible miracle, as if those first ten weren't enough, those plagues. All of a sudden, the the sea is parted, they go through, the sea comes back and collapses on top of Pharaoh and his army, and they escape on their way to the Promised Land. Incredible miracle after miracle after miracle for God's people. And yet, the story that David references happens. They're at this place that became called Meribah. It actually has two names there, Meribah and Massah where they were like, we're here in the desert, it's hot, we're thirsty, we're thirsty, where's the water, we need more water, okay, they're on their trip to the promised land, where everything is going to be good in the land of Canaan, and they're thirsty, they're like, where's the water, they're crying out, they're complaining, they're grumbling, it says, because they're thinking, God can't provide this, it would have been better in Egypt, why did God bring us out here all to die of thirst, you know, this, this reminds me a little bit about like road trips now with kids, I'm amazed at how many times they're asking for food and water, right, like five meals in the first three hours. Like, come on. Like, do you really need that much water? Kids, you're like, yep, mm -hmm, we do. Okay, it's boring. But these people are just complaining and grumbling. Oh my gosh, we're gonna die of thirst. There's not enough. And it's unbelief because they had just seen these amazing miracles. God had come through again and again and again and again, but now they're like, oh my gosh, God won't come through now. Where is he? He doesn't doesn't exist. He doesn't have power. And then God, of course, is like, fine, I'll give you another miracle. And he tells Moses, okay, pick up your stick and strike the rock. And when he does, it's like a whole geyser shoots forth and they have water enough for everybody. That's Meribah, that's Massa, where God's people were testing God and God's like, no, 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 I'm testing you and you have been found wanting. And that's why after doing that again and again and again, God finally tells them, because of your unbelief, you're going to have to wander in the desert for 40 years and not be able to enter into the promised land. Because of unbelief, you haven't responded, you haven't obeyed what I've said you. You've grumbled and complained and been unbelieving. What I think is fascinating about this passage is that those people had miracles that they saw. I have talked to so many people who say, if I could just see a miracle, if I could just hear God's voice audibly, then I'd believe. Let me tell you this. Even if you hear that, you won't believe. Think about it. Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle, and his own people killed him. He rose from the dead, and still nobody believed. Very few did. 
There's a thing that a miracle is enough, isn't enough to cause you to believe. But do you know what does cause you to believe and to obey? It's fascinating how God works. Do you know what it is? God's word. When God speaks through his Holy Spirit, through the word of God into your heart, it transforms you. There's something transformative that even a miracle wouldn't be enough for you to believe. But when God speaks to you and you feel that in your heart, you're like, I have to do it. That's why we open up God's word. It's really cool that this, um, this psalm, because David said today, even though it was talking about something that happened 100 years before that, right? And then it was picked up again by the author of Hebrews in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. He quotes this psalm again and again in that, those two chapters. He quotes it today, so that today is whenever you hear God's word. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Obey, respond, do what he says. And what's fascinating is that author of Hebrews, first he says, as the Holy Spirit said, quoting this psalm. Then he says, as God said, quoting this psalm. Then he says, as David wrote, quoting this psalm. So who was it? Was it David or was it the Holy Spirit? Yes, okay. The Holy Spirit carried along the authors of Scripture. That's why we believe in the inerrant word of God. Because God worked through these human authors to write these 66 books of the Bible that we have. And the Holy Spirit still speaks today through his word. Some of you are saying, where's my miracle? No, 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 you need to hear God's word today. And some of you need to hear this. Today, if you would only hear his voice and not harden your hearts, your heart is hard and it's time to soften it, to listen and obey what God has told you to do. We believe our, our, our core value, we, we already talked about passionate worship. Another one here is transformational teaching, that we teach God's word accurately and relevantly to transform lives. Because God does something powerfully every time we open up his word. He speaks his Holy Spirit speaks to people's hearts. That's why, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.11, this is my job as a speaker, as a preacher. If anyone speaks, Peter said, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. I don't have enough subject matter. I don't have enough material that I could teach. You guys would get so bored and leave after a few weeks of me teaching what's from my heart, right? What you need to hear is what's from God's heart. And that's why we open up God's word every single week here. And I teach you what God's word says. Because we believe that when that happens, the Holy Spirit moves in people's hearts. So don't harden your heart. And the most amazing thing, I, I always talk with people and they're like, Matt, God spoke to me. I'm like, awesome. Sometimes people will be like, Matt, I love when you said this. I just knew what I was supposed to do. I'm like, I didn't say that. There's a lot of times that the person, I'm like, you completely missed it. I never said that. But sometimes God's Spirit works that way, right? God's Holy Spirit puts something on your heart, convicts you to do something. And that's how God works. It's an amazing thing that he works still today through his word. That's how he's chosen to do it. That's why we worship weekly. We hear God's word and we're transformed. If we actually hear and obey and don't have hard hearts. Because there's a word that everyone needs to hear when they come in here. Some people need to be challenged. You've grown stagnant. You've grown too comfortable. You need to be challenged to do something new. To be pushed to step out in faith. Some of you get convicted because you're living in sin. That's when people are like, man, I can't go to church. I just feel so guilty. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit convicting, right? Sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comforts you. There are people that are coming and they're hurting. They're in grief right now. We, we saw Crick and Mindy Poirier last week. We were going to pray to send them out. We did. They had to stay a, a little bit longer because Mindy's dad died unexpectedly of a heart attack. So when I talked with them, what they needed was a word of comfort, right? And there are people here that need a word of comfort. And what's amazing is that in the same message, one person will be convicted and challenged, and another person will be comforted and encouraged. Because God's Holy Spirit works to give you what you need to hear. 
and how you need to respond. Sometimes the Holy Spirit offends you. People get mad at preachers all the time. How could you say that, you know? If you're a Republican and you come here, you're going to be offended. If you're a Democrat and you come here, you're going to be offended, okay? If you're black or white or Hispanic, if you're from a different nation, if you're from this nation, no matter who you are, you will be offended at different times because sometimes God needs to offend you because you're not living the way you're supposed to or your heart isn't like his heart. God's word works in so many different ways, and that's why we open it up and preach it every week. And what do we do as a church? Today, if you hear his, his word, don't harden your hearts. His voice is speaking today. So listen and obey. Listen and obey. So there's two parts of our worship every week, right? We use our voice to praise the Lord. We hear his voice to be transformed. Those are happening every week. That's why we come in like we do. He hears from us, we hear from him. It's gotta be both of those things. That's what we do every week and that's why this rhythm is so important. And the great thing is, if God's word wasn't enough for you to believe, (laughs) studies are showing that worshiping weekly is one of the best habits you can have in your life. And these are secular studies. There was a great study that came out out of Harvard University. they, they, They looked at these people, they tracked some people for 20 years of their life. And in that group of 20 years, and I'm going to cite several different studies here, but in one of these studies, they found that the women who went to church weekly, just the women, I don't know what's up with the men, but in the women, were one-third less likely to die in that 20-year period. This is a bizarre thing. If you worship weekly, you will have a boosted immune system, you will have lower blood pressure, and you will have lower cholesterol. One epidemiologist out of Harvard said that religion may be a miracle drug. You, have less, you will be less likely to smoke, less likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, less likely to commit violent crimes. Students, your GPAs will go up. You'll be less likely to live in poverty. You'll be more likely to put on a seatbelt. You will also find... You know, personally, more meaning, people who worship weekly have more meaning in their life. They're less lonely, and they have a much bigger social network. People are more generous with their money if they worship weekly, and they also are more likely to serve. They will have stronger marriages and better sex. Yeah. People who worship weekly are less prone to mental illness, and they will have more happiness in their life. And they have found that what they call, that these secular researchers call it a sustained happiness. Happiness that lasts, kind of like the joy that Jesus talked about last week in our message. Um, one epidemiologist, a Harvard-trained epidemiologist, looked at all these different studies, and this is what he said. His name's Mauricio Avendano. He said, the church appears to play a very important social role in keeping depression at bay and also as a coping mechanism during periods of illness later in life. It's a wonder drug. It helps you so much. If you want a better life, worship weekly. It's fascinating, right? All the studies are proving what God has said for millennia. That's how it works. So that's why I'm challenging you to worship Weekly, make this part of your regular rhythm, of your regular life. It's what um, a lot of people call a keystone habit because not only does it change one thing in your life, it changes so many other things as we just saw. Worship weekly. Come in here, use your voice to praise the Lord and hear his voice to be transformed. Worship weekly. 
Now, as, as we have the band come up right now, we are actually going to have a chance to respond in worship right now, okay? If we're supposed to sing, shout, some of you need another chance because this morning you came in late or you were kind of putting your hands in your pocket, you're like, I didn't worship. Okay, we're going to give you another chance to truly worship authentically, to, to worship God, the, the God who sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. We're going to worship that guy together. And I want you to do it authentically from what you've learned today. But, but some of you, um, it's not just enough to respond this. You need to respond in obedience, it says in the psalm, David wrote, today if you hear his voice, today, and maybe what you're hearing today is, yes, I need to obey and I need to make worship a weekly part of my habit. That, that's that's got to be at the center of every single week. I work six days, I rest on the seventh and worship him. You're, you're feeling that, but others of you are hearing something different, and I'm totally cool with that, because the Holy Spirit is putting something on your heart that you need to go and do. And whatever it is, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not. Have a soft heart and obey and respond in obedience to whatever God has said. You come in here, you use your voice to praise the Lord, and then we hear his voice and are transformed. Let's pray. Lord God, we we come um, before you today. We worship you because you are the great maker of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe. But even more than that, you loved us so much that you sent your own son, the great shepherd, who chased us down to pick us up, bring us back to you. But even more than that, he went, your son Jesus, to the cross to die, the slaughtered lamb in our place. We're so grateful that he died for us to forgive us and and give us a new chance and to call us to a better life of following him, the fullest life. Lord God, I pray that you transform us today and every week that we come together, that we would have a lifetime that is transformed because of this basic habit of worshiping weekly. Lord God, today, as a church, as a body, we come together with one voice, with a loud voice, to worship you and to praise the Lord, the God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. Would you please stand right now? We're going to practice, right? We're going to practice, and we're going to respond in worship, and then we're going to do a little uh, child dedication here in just a second.